So a few months back, uh, Mark approached me, went, came into my office here and mentioned that he was going to be out of town today and that he had a, a wedding that he had to perform in Indiana, so that's where he's at today. And uh, he just asked me, you know, do you want to you fill in for me on uh, September 26th? And I said, yeah, I think I should be able to do that. I have a couple details to fix. Um, what is it exactly that the, what are we preaching on that day? And he said, I don't, I can't remember exactly what it is, but I think it has to do something about giving. And I thought, thanks, Mark. How convenient of you to go out of town and let me take that one. Um, Bob, would you like to speak on this or do you want me to, you want to do it? Huh? Okay. All right. Appreciate it. Well, the truth is, you know, it's uh, giving the, this topic of money in the church is, is kind of messy. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're probably, uh, you're probably thinking, well, it's the giving sermon. Uh, we probably just should have stayed at home and watched online today. Or uh, maybe you might be thinking, if I get up right now and leave, do you think anybody would notice? You know, it has gotten a bit of a bad reputation. I think it's been spoiled a little bit by televangelists and, and especially the stories that you hear about different churches that misuse funds. But if we avoid these honest, open conversations about money in the church, it would kind of go against Scripture. There are many, many references, in, in fact, over 800 references to finance in the Bible um, Eleven of Jesus' parables even involve money in, in one way or another. And it makes me ask the question, why? Why the emphasis throughout Scripture that we see on finance? And I have a theory, and it comes from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where he's speaking uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I think Jesus probably had a pretty good idea that our pursuit of getting ahead in life, our chase for stuff, the desire to have enough, would sometimes cloud our judgment and get in the way of our pursuit of Him. I think that's why there's so much to say about finance throughout the Bible. Um, and of course, this is week five of our disciple series. We've talked so far about the call to become a disciple. We talked about worshiping together, we talked about growing spiritually, we talked about serving humbly, and today's topic is giving cheerfully. I want to take a look at our, what we might call the theme verse for this series, where we got the name for the series, uh, Disciple. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The truth to, be, to becoming a disciple is that there is a cost that we have to deny ourselves. The things that we might want, the things that we think are best for us are not always the right things. We have to be willing to put aside our own preferences at times for the kingdom's sake. And the truth is, when we talk about giving, we have to recognize that God himself is a giver. We just took communion. We remembered the sacrifice when God gave us his son. And so if God is a giver, and we are his disciples, then giving is a part of the equation for us. So the, first, so the main question that we're going to discuss today is, how do disciples give to the kingdom? How do disciples give to the kingdom? Now we see an example of this 
in the book of 2 Corinthians, specifically chapters 8 and 9. But I want to give you a little context to what we're going to read today and what we're going to focus on. So, in Jerusalem, there was a group of Jewish Christians that were dealing with a difficult time. There was a famine in their land, and they were on the brink of starvation. They were on the brink of poverty. And Paul, with all the relationships he had with the, these churches, he's writing to these churches, specifically here, the church of, at Corinth, to ask them if they would be willing to participate in a love offering of sorts to give to these, uh, the people, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, uh, to help them during this difficult time. He says it's an opportunity to prove their love of God and also of their fellow man by participating in this gift. And then he goes on in verses 6 through 8, which is where our main focus is today, to issue a reminder to them about giving and some practical advice. Now, we today, as we stand here in 2021, do not have the opportunity necessarily to give to those people who are in need. However, the great thing about the Bible is there are some applications here of how he wanted them to give that we can take into our own lives right here and right now. So the first thing is, let's read through this passage, verses 6 through 8. We've got all the scriptures up on the screen today for you. Uh, Paul, this is uh, Paul writing this, starting in verse 6 of chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided to give, decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's that cheerful word. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The first thing I want you to know is that disciples give. Disciples give. When you're a disciple, it becomes a part of who you are. Before we talk about how we give, we have to start with the fact that we participate in giving. From the beginning of time, God's people gave back. You read back through the Old Testament and you read stories about animal sacrifice. You read stories about in this agrarian culture they lived in, the, uh, the giving back of the first fruits of the harvest, right? Giving back. Now in this example here, Paul is actually talking about a monetary gift. But this idea of giving is not foreign, right? It, it happens all throughout Scripture, and as disciples, we continue in that process even today. There are a couple different ways that disciples give. Number one, back to the local church, or back to God through tithes and offerings. Now, I want to clean up something about the tithe. The word in, in Scripture, uh, where the tithe word literally means one-tenth, one-tenth. So if you're going to give a tithe to the local church... It's not 3%. You can't tithe 3%. You can't tithe 5%. A tithe is literally 10%. So that is what a tithe is. We see a little bit about the tithe in Malachi chapter 3. We read, this is God speaking, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, a, a symbol of the local church, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You see here that we're encouraged to tithe in the local church in, in some ways to test God, to see, as he asks us, to test him here, to see if he will not bless us abundantly when we do so. Now, I want to give you a little perspective on the tithe because, again, this is not a very easy topic to discuss standing up in front of you today. 
So let's talk about the tithe. Let's talk about this whole 10% idea. So when you're first introduced to this concept of the tithe and you think about 10%, um, it might seem a little odd. It might seem a little crazy that you would give 10% back of, of what God has blessed you with. But a little perspective. God is the creator of the world. He owns everything. He's our heavenly father. He created us. We have stuff, but it's not necessarily ours. We are stewards of what God blesses us with. We manage it for his glory. When we, when we pass on from this earth, we don't take that stuff with us, right? That is not our stuff. It's God's. And so one way to look at the tithe would be to think about the fact that everything that we manage is 100% God's. And he's only asking for 10% of it back while telling us the 90% is yours to manage for me, to, to uh, whether it's spend it, save it, invest it, maybe even give even over and above the tithe, which would be considered an offering. Tithes come off the top. I want you to know that tithes and offerings here in this church specifically, they go to a specific purpose. Um, we're entering the budget season where we're preparing for next year, and it's reminded me of a couple different uh, areas in our church where these tithes and offerings go. We heard from some of our missionaries here this morning, over 10% of our budget each and every year go to support missionaries and mission local organizations here that are making a difference in our community and also across the world, taking the good news of the gospel of Christ. I think about education. I think about our children your children, my children, students, all the way up to adults. You think about the different programs that are run here, the curriculum that is needed to teach and, and continue the process of discipleship for each one of us. I think about the building that we sit in today, making sure that the lights are on, making sure that this is a, is a comfortable place to come and worship and, and have all the maintenance and everything that, t that it takes to run a large building like this. I also think about technology. I think about the microphone that I'm using to speak right now. And think about all the instruments that you've heard up here playing music. I think about the camera that sits at the back of the room that allows us to live stream all of our services to people that are sitting in their homes right now that are tuning in, right? There's a lot of technology needs that happen in the church. And also, of course, our support staff here at the church that is here working very diligently to complete the mission of this church, both now and for the future. You guys know about giving back to the church. But let's talk about giving back to others. Because the example that we read about here in this 2 Corinthians chapter, I don't believe is a necessarily what I'd call a tithe situation. This is not giving back 10%. There are no mentions of 10% by Paul as he discusses this with the church. This is an offering for those that need it. This is a group of people coming together to support someone who's down on their luck. Maybe you've done this before. It might be uh, supporting someone who has recently had a bunch of medical bills unexpectedly. It might be that someone has a car issue and the repair is a couple hundred dollars and for them that's all they have in their bank account, but for you, you may be able to, uh, to take that on for them when they need it most. Maybe it's a situation where someone has lost a job. Maybe you, maybe you choose to support a worthy cause that is, is something that you're passionate about, whether it be St. Jude's Children's Hospital or Alzheimer's Research, Cancer Research, or even my favorite way of giving back to others is something called random or spontaneous acts of kindness. Maybe you've done this or participated in this before. I, the, 
The most popular one in, that comes to mind for me is the pay it forwards in the drive-thrus, right? Maybe you have done that before where you've paid for the person behind you or maybe you've pulled up to the window and they, they look at you and say, ah, oh, the person in front of you paid for you. And then you face that choice to pay it forward to the person behind you as well. It doesn't have to be monetary necessarily. I can tell you, I can speak from my own experience here in the last couple of weeks. Um, just last Sunday, I turned 30 years old, and you guys saw the big sign out there. Um, so there's that, and then I received a couple of birthday cards from some of the people here in this room. And, uh, and then also, on the flip side, uh, about a week and a half ago, my grandmother passed away, and I received some cards of sympathy uh, just to let me know that they're praying for me and they're thinking about me. So even a giving of a card can be a way to support others in a time of need. And I think disciples do that. Disciples give, whether it be to the church and to others as well um, as they support them. So we've talked about how disciples give, or that, that disciples give. Now I want to focus on how disciples give in this passage. So the first one we get is out of verse 6. Disciples are generous givers. Disciples are generous givers. Let's read verse 6 again. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The general truth in this verse is that you get what you give. You might have heard it said, you reap what you sow. If you plant tomato seeds, you're going to get tomatoes. If you plant corn, you're going to get corn. Now, this is not something that is only specific to farming, agriculture. This is something that can also be uh, true in our lives. If we eat poorly and we neglect exercise, you better believe your body's going to pay for it. When we, uh, maybe you know of someone that, uh, hopefully it's not you, but uh, maybe you know of someone who has sowed hatefulness into their children with comments or stories and you begin to see, as the child grows up, you see that come up in their lives, right? But on the flip side of that, when you sow time, commitment, energy, communication into your relationships, whether it be with your spouse, your friends, your family, you reap the rewards of that, right? You reap what you sow. And that's the reminder that Paul is giving here. He's saying, if you're stingy, you're stingy if you plant just a few seeds you can only expect a small crop but when you're overly generous when you sow generously you're going to reap the rewards the book of proverbs in the bible has a lot of practical advice not just about giving but about money in general it's been said that if you read through the entire book of proverbs enough that you'll walk away with a what is the equivalent of a master's degree in biblical finance there's a lot to be said about that book I want to point you to Proverbs chapter 11 on generosity. It says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, this is not an idea that comes from me. I've heard it many times across many different topics, but I think it applies here. It's this idea of having closed or open hands. When we have closed hands with our finances, when we're trying to hold on too tight to what we have because we, don't, we feel like we don't have enough, we also are closing ourselves off to the blessings that God can give. But when we have open hands, when we're willing to give, we're also able to receive 
God's blessings. A couple things from this passage in Proverbs that we learn about generosity. Verse 24 says, when we're generous, we gain even, we gain even more somehow. That seems kind of different from what common sense would say, right? If I have $100 and I choose to give that to someone, that would mean that I would have less. But the Bible says when you're generous, you somehow gain more. I think it's that idea of having an open hand and being willing to give so that you might receive more blessings. The Bible says you prosper in verse 25 when you're generous. It says we're a blessing to others. You refresh others in their time of need. The Bible says we're blessed by God when we're generous. The Bible says when we're generous, God credits it to us as righteousness. And most importantly, we become more like God when we're generous because God is generous. He is a giver. He gave the ultimate gift in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, being generous, the definition of generous literally means going above and beyond, uh, giving more than what might be expected or even necessary. I want to introduce you to a little boy named Max. This is Max. He just turned six years old, and uh, for his birthday, he received a brand new scooter. Now, here I am a week after 30, and I'm sitting here thinking, man, I'd kind of like a scooter too. <laughs> Should have asked for that. But the thing about Max, he has a, he has a great story. He, um, see, he already had a scooter, and... To his parents' shock and surprise, after opening the scooter, he looked at them and said, I already have a scooter. Why do I need a new one? So, after sitting down with his parents, he decided that he wanted to give his scooter away. No, not his old scooter, the brand new one. Now, see, if it were me, I'd want the new one, and I would, like, sell it on Facebook Marketplace for, like, 10 bucks or something. But no. Max wanted to give away the brand new scooter because he wanted it to go to someone who really truly needed it. So his parents devised a plan with him and they met with a local store owner downtown and asked him if they could place the brand new scooter outside of his shop with a note that read, free to a little boy or girl who is not lucky enough to have one. Love, Max. After a brief time, parents went and ran a couple errands with Max, and they went back to the store, and as you might expect, the brand new scooter was gone. But there was a note left on the note that Max had originally written that said this, thank you so much, Max. I love my new scooter. Love, Ayla. I think we could all learn something from Max. You know, I think in our, um, in our worlds, we often think about ourselves first. And why wouldn't we? We spend every second of every day with ourselves, right? We think about all the decisions that we have to make. But generosity for others is a different concept because it requires us not to think about ourselves, but to put others first and to think about the needs of others. The gospel message that we talk about each and every week and that is uh, throughout all of Scripture is a message of generosity. We've said already today that God gave, that God is a giver of His Son. But I also want you to think about what Jesus gave up. He gave up His seat beside the Father to come down to this place, as we know it, to be a humble servant. 
The Bible says that Jesus, though he was rich, yet became poor for us, for our sake. That is the message of generosity that we see throughout Scripture. So as disciples, as followers of Christ, we are already the recipients of a very generous gift. We become like God when we are generous and when we give back. The second thing we learn from this passage is disciples are cheerful givers. Disciples are cheerful givers. Let's look at verse 7 again. Paul says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Now, what is cheer? What is cheer? I want to poll you for a second. By a show of hands, how many of you in your lifetimes, high school, middle school, peewee football, have been a cheerleader? Okay, several hands. Several hands. All right, well, those of you who have been cheerleaders, you know this to be true. Cheerleaders, they stand on the sideline during a game. They've got their pom-poms, and they just stand there, and they don't say a word. Oh, wait. That's not right. Cheerleaders are loud. They're boisterous. They're joyful. Catch this. Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. In your giving, would you consider yourself cheerful? So, at the end of the service today, as you guys are dropping your offerings in the box, I'm expecting a fist bump. Let's go. That's kind of what I looked like last night when Tennessee went up on Florida for that brief moment. Man, that was exciting. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, maybe I'm taking Paul a little too literally, but I think the point remains. God loves when we're cheerful. He loves when we're happy about the gift, when we're excited about the gift. He doesn't want us to give if it feels like, oh, here it is again. I'm just going to write a check or I'm just going to hand you some money. I hate that I did that. No, God loves when we're cheerful in our giving. There was a uh, recent experiment in Zurich University back in, uh, in Switzerland, actually, and they studied a group of 50 people. They split them up into two groups, 25-25, and they gave each person in both groups $25 a week for a four-week period. Let me help you with the math. That's $100. So $100 throughout the month, and they told group A to spend the money on themselves. They could buy anything they wanted. But group B, however, they told them that they had to spend the money on someone else. They had to buy someone dinner. They had to buy someone a gift. I think you know where this is going. After a series of study, observation, questioning, and even brain scanning, what they found is the people in group B were happier with what they did. In fact, in the scanning process themselves, what they found was that in the areas of the brain related to happiness, reward, and empathy, they all became triggered or active in their brain when they were you know, hooked up to the machine and they were asking them about what they did, like who they gave the money to and all that. That did not happen with group A. Now, you likely don't need that study to know that giving can make you happy. There's a good chance that throughout this sermon today, you have thought of a story that... Um, where you got to participate in giving someone a gift and it made you happier, where it made you feel good about yourself. 
Uh, you may, on the, on the flip side, you may have been the recipient of a gift before that um, you didn't deserve. And you remember how much of a difference that made in your life. Maybe it was a Christmas gift or maybe it was paying off someone's electric bill. There's probably great stories that are sitting right in this room right now. But while we know that giving makes us happy, we've got to talk a little bit more about the rest of this verse here. I specifically want to focus on the beginning. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I love that Paul talks about this being an issue of the heart. The decision on whether to give or how much to give, that's a decision that comes from your heart. That's a decision between you and God. Now, you might want to talk to your spouse before you write a $1,000 check to somebody. Maybe. I think that might be allowed. But still, you should, when you give, it shouldn't be reluctant or hesitant. You shouldn't feel like you've been, you're being convinced to give under compulsion. A cheerful gift is one that is not hesitant, it's not reluctant, it doesn't feel forced, it's a willing gift from your heart. Paul says it this way back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which is the chapter before this. Both these chapters focus on his writing about this gift, and he says, For if the willingness is there to give, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. There's a willingness con uh, concept to this. You should be willing when you give. It's not about what you have. It's not about what you don't have. It's about the willingness that you have in your heart to give. So that leads us to verse 8 and our final lesson, which is that disciples are faithful givers. Disciples are faithful givers. Again, verse 8, Paul says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I love reading that verse because I really like the word abundant. God owns everything. We've talked about that. If God owns everything, he can pretty much bless you with anything. So that in all things, at all times, don't miss this, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What does a, a gift of faith look like? No matter what we give, even if it feels generous, even if it feels like it's a little over the top to some people, we can know that God, the owner of everything, can bless us with anything and that he will provide, giving us all that we need so that we can continue to abound in every good work. He wants that generosity in our lives to continue, but he wants us to do it on faith. And maybe, you know, you're 25 minutes into this sermon and you're tuned out and you have been thinking, you know, I don't really have any money to give. Maybe you, you know, recognize the benefits of giving. Maybe a couple of these stories made you feel good. But at the end of the day, you don't think you have any money to give. You can't find that in the budget. You don't know how you would even begin to give. I want to talk about a story from the book of Mark, chapter 12. It's a story that you'll know is the widow's offering. We see, starting in verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. 
But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. The thing I love about this passage is we learn something very clearly from what Jesus has to say. Jesus is saying that the gift that, he, that was valued at just a few cents is more valuable than all the other gifts that were put in. Hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, no. The gift that was most valuable to, to Jesus in that moment was only worth a couple cents. Why? He says it was because she gave everything. She gave all she had to live on. Now, does that mean that as stewards of what God has given us, that we have to give every single dollar that we ever earn back to the church or to someone else? I don't think so. But we see from this passage that Jesus values gifts of faith. So when we do have opportunities to give, we should be faithful. Who knows how much was given by each person on that day? But remember that it's not about how much you give. Sometimes it's about how much it costs. Now, we're all in different places in life. You may feel that you're in a position now to give more than you ever could before. Maybe you feel like you're in a position where there is no money to give, or maybe you're, maybe you're young. Maybe you're just starting out, getting out of high school, you've got a, you've got a little part-time job, and, and you've never really participated in giving. Even all the way down to our kids, we should be teaching this idea of giving, of, of generosity, even if it's small. Because what we see from this passage is that Jesus values those gifts. Even if they're small to us in monetary value, we get to practice that giving process of becoming a disciple. So let's talk about our connection. When we give with a biblical perspective, lives are changed and God is glorified. When we give with a biblical perspective, lives are changed and God is glorified. In this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we've read about the advice that Paul has about giving. But starting in verse 10, you skip down a couple verses and he goes on to say this. Now he, being God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What we learn from this passage and what you've probably learned when you've gave before to someone is that the people that receive the blessing, their lives can be changed. 
But it's not just that. As the giver, we also change. We also practice that generosity, and it changes our hearts. When, we're, when we give, when we're generous, when we're cheerful, when we're faithful, lives are changed, both for the giver and the receiver. But on top of that, God is also glorified. Paul's saying here that not only will the people who receive this gift be thankful for you, but they'll be thankful to God for the blessing. So giving activates change in, the, in both people in the transaction and also it's, it's praise to God. It glorifies God. So as we close, I want you to think about the impact you can have by giving back to the church. Not only do you have an opportunity to practice obedience and become more like God and become his disciple, but you also get to participate and find fulfillment in the fact that you're helping this church, this church specifically, reach our community. I also want you to think about the impact that you can have on other people with your giving. Not only through the church, but maybe you decide to meet a need of a family that needs it most. Think about the smiles you can put on someone's face in the midst of their tears because of something you did. And you may even be an inspiration to others because of your generosity. Maybe someone sees what you've done and decides to do something similar. Or maybe the people that receive the gift that you've given, maybe years down the road, they remember that. And they decide, I want to do that too. I'll say this, I guess I'm not young anymore, I turned 30, but I used to think, you know, one day when I'm old, I want to do this. I want to give back. I want to do... Those things are inspirational when we see people giving to things. It inspires, no matter where you're at in your journey. I also want you to think about how being generous can impact you. We talked about that generosity muscle, working it out to where you become more and more generous. Think about how fun it is to give and watch others benefit from it. Think about how much it pleases God that you're following his example in being generous in giving. The truth is that we have received a wonderful, wonderful gift in Jesus Christ. And when we begin to recognize the gravity of that, that we received a gift that we did not deserve, God was generous with us. And as his disciples, we continue in that process of giving, of being generous, of being cheerful when we give, and also being willing to give on faith, knowing that God can bless us with anything and that God will provide. Remember, it's not so much about how much you give. It doesn't really matter how much you write on a check. It doesn't matter how much you type in the online giving form before you click submit. It's not so much about that. It's about how you give. It's about your heart when you give. And it's about why you give. Let's pray. Dear Lord, can't help but think about how thankful we are for your son. The best gift we could ever receive. It's a gift that we didn't deserve. And God, I pray that you would mold our hearts, transform our hearts, that we might be willing to return the favor in some way. We know that we can't ever pay you back for what you did by sending Jesus. 
But we know that as disciples, in this process of continuing to grow, no matter what our age is or what our situation is, that by giving back, we become more like you, one step at a time. And so, Lord, I pray that you continue this process of transformation in each one of us. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And we know that if it weren't for that gift, we would have no hope. But God, help us as we go about our daily lives to recognize that we should be grateful for that gift and be willing to return the favor, not only in supporting the local church as it goes and and fulfills needs in our community and throughout the world, but also even those around us when we have opportunities to participate in giving. God, open our hearts to be able to participate in that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.